Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to Godsplaining on this Ascension Sunday. Uh, I think for most people in the country, we are getting ready to celebrate the Ascension on Sunday. For some of some people in this country, you've already celebrated the Ascension, like Father Patrick. Um, so if you've already celebrated, this is more of a less of an anticipatory Lexio episode and more of a what's the opposite of anticipatory? Um, reflective. Reflective. I like that. Reflective. Backward looking. Lexio. Hindsight. So retroactive. There we go. So, as I said, welcome to God's Planning. This is Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. I am joined by Father Patrick Briscoe, Father Gregory Pine. Uh, we are all here, per usual, on this um, penultimate Lexio episode for the Easter season. Fathers, how you doing? Uh, doing well. I'm actually going to take part in a, an act of liturgical time travel. So I'm in Philadelphia right now, uh, visiting with the friars and my family a little bit. And uh, so I celebrate the Ascension on Thursday, but I'm going to Washington, D.C. on Sunday, just in time for the community mass. <laughs> so I, my friends, <laughs> am about double to double Ascension. Dip. Yeah. And then when you think like, okay, so where is Jesus? You got to ask yourself, where is Jesus? Like when I'm on 95 between Philadelphia and, and D.C., is he like descending so that he can ascend again? And you think about that too hard and your mind kind of blows up. So I'm going to try not to just enjoy the fact that I can celebrate it twice. I often ask, where is Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> like, why isn't he here in this moment? Come on, Jesus. I'm ready to go. Take me home. I remember one year, Father Clement Dickey was so upset because he missed the ascension altogether. <laughs> <laughs> because of this, the same thing, right? Like he was in, uh, he, it must have been that he was in D.C. on Thursday, and then he went up to New England on Sunday, and it was God just gone. Him. So instead of double ascension, he had no ascension. Yeah, it's tough. Well, Where's Jesus? He'll survive. <laughs> He'll survive. He'll make it. I'm not worried. For those of you that don't know what we're talking about, I feel like I just want to clarify this. In the in the northeast region of the United States, uh, the older Catholic diocese of our country, that is, we still observe Ascension Thursday on Thursday, <laughs> um, which makes sense because you know it's called Ascension Thursday. And in other parts of the country, um, the the local ordinaries, or perhaps maybe it's the metropolitans and the local con the local conferences of bishops, um, can decide to translate Ascension Thursday to Ascension Sunday. Um, maybe you've never even heard that this was a thing before this episode, so you've already learned something. Just one of the many <laughs> graces of God's planning. One of the things that I just learned is that it's ascent the ascensions on Thursday because it's called Ascension Thursday, not because Christ ascended on a Thursday. That's great too. So thanks for that, <laughs> Patrick. <laughs> hey, you're welcome. Nothing but the yep. nothing but the best of the church's tradition here for you. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Why is it this way? Because Father Patrick has said so. He has decreed eternally. Fiat. So fiat. Yeah. Maybe, maybe in the future we could have an episode on what time midnight mass is on Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Perfect. That's another great example. Yes. <laughs> well, all this and so much more to look forward to. But for now, we're going to actually look at the readings for Ascension Thursday or Sunday or whatever day that you decide to celebrate the ascension on by fiat <laughs> so let's 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 start with the collect for the ascension in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen gladden us with holy joys almighty god 
And make us rejoice with devout thanksgiving, for the ascension of Christ your Son is our exaltation. And where the head has gone before in glory, the body is called to follow in hope. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right, Father Gregory, read for us the first reading, if you would. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. In the first book, Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus did and taught until the day he was taken up, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them by many proofs after he had suffered, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While meeting with them, he enjoined them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father about which you have heard me speak. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When they had gathered together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He answered them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has established by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took, them from their, took him from their sight. While they were looking intently at the sky as he was going, suddenly two men dressed in white garments stood beside them. They said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing there looking at the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will return in the same way as you have seen him going into heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the great things about this excerpt that the church has chosen uh, for the Feast of Ascension Thursday is that this reading begins with the address uh, of the author of Acts of the Apostles, who is traditionally believed to be St. Luke. So if you look at the end of St. Luke's Gospel and these beginning passages of uh, the Acts of the Apostles, there's a link there. And one of the ways that it's linked, not just by narrative, um, but is by this address here, Theophilus. Um, which is also the addressee, the one who received uh, the Gospel of St. Luke. And Theophilus um, could be a particular disciple of St. Luke's, that's certainly reasonable, but the name itself just means the lover of God, the one who loves God, Theophilus. Um, so there's there's a, a beautiful spiritual interpretation here that this this reading is being addressed to us, to those who would seek God, those who would be lovers of God, um, so that we can hear this instruction from the apostles uh, that we might be able uh, to ourselves be witnesses. So that's one of the that's the first thing that I wanted to say about this reading, is to see here this beautiful invitation in the address um, for us to become witnesses, apostles ourselves, and to to continue the work of handing on what was seen and shared. Uh, the second is that the uh, the witnesses, the ones who would be witnesses, have to wait for the fullness of the message to be made known to us. I mean, one of the most frustrating things in Christian life is the working out of God's providence. I mean, we would we would much rather see everything up front, at least I would, you know, like, what's the deal? Um, the Lord, however, knows what he is up to, because if he told us what would happen, it would um, be so beautiful that we would probably just die. Uh, and I, I certainly think of that. In my own priesthood, uh, my experience has been, if I had known that any of these things would happen, I just would have had no way to comprehend them. Um, they, are, they are both more difficult and more beautiful than anything that my wildest imagination could have conjured. Um, and so, so God 
unveils his mysteries in time according to what we can bear. And that means that like these first witnesses, we have to wait for the unveiling, for the revelation. Um, We have to be like them gathered in Jerusalem, waiting for the promise of the Father about which we have heard spoken. So here, just meditating on the fact that our Lord ascends to the right hand of the Father, it, it kind of forces us to broaden our understanding of the Lord's saving mission or the Paschal mystery, just kind of as we put it in shorthand. Oftentimes when we think about the Lord's salvation, the way in which he, he gained it for us, we'll talk about it in terms of merit. So the Lord suffered, died, and rose from the grave, and he did so in obedience to the Father, yes, uh, but by a surpassing charity, by a great love. And that great love uh, exhibited in a great deed wins for him the reward of our salvation because God has so appointed it. Uh, But merit is something that can only be assigned. It's only something that can be dispensed to a wayfarer, says St. Thomas Aquinas. A wayfarer being somebody who is still on the way. So somebody between their birth and their death. Because after their death, or after uh, a particular individual's death, he can no longer merit because he already begins to possess. He already begins to see and so something of the, of the drama of ordinary human existence passes before the certainty, uh, the, the excellence of, of the life beyond. So, right, okay, so we talk about the Paschal Mystery, the Passion, Death, and Resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we come up against a kind of limit in our understanding of how it is that the Lord is gaining for us a salvation because he's not meriting in the resurrection. He's certainly not meriting in the ascension. So, so what exactly is at stake? And when St. Thomas talks about this, he, he, he says that, like, okay, so God saves us because he's God. <laughs> he says he saves us as, you know, to use some somewhat dry Aristotelian language, as our efficient cause, right? So he's the one that brings it about. He's the one that fashions it in us. And our Lord's humanity is like the instrument that he uses for fashioning salvation. And whether that instrument is on the way or at the end, whether it is during his earthly life or beyond, the Lord still wields it because it's perfectly suited, it's perfectly attuned to our salvation. So in the ascension, we are being saved by God who took human flesh and uses that flesh so as to, you know, give us a share, help us to partake of the divine life which he himself lives, you know, to the utmost. Uh, to a bewildering extent, you know, because he's God. Uh, so, so I love that in the sense that, okay, we think about it in terms of merit, but the Lord's salvation goes beyond the bounds of merit. It passes into, uh, you know, it, it passes into the very nature of God's, you know, love designs as expressed through his sacred humanity. This passage from the Acts of the Apostles, that is our first reading for the Ascension, uh, is, uh, as Father Patrick explained, the beginning of, of this book, of, of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And in these first verses, we're given the, the recounting of, of Christ's um, ascension. So, fine, great, we have it, we can read about it. But why? Um, why does Christ ascend? Why does he leave us? Uh, if we look at um, what St. Thomas and other great thinkers of, of the church and theologians have um, have said in response to a question, because I think the initial thought, well, if Christ stayed on earth, he could be more helpful. If I saw him, I would believe in him and these sort of things. And St. Thomas says, well, actually, no, that's not true. In fact, Christ does all things so as to bring us to the Father, so as to save us. So we have to hold that that principle to be true uh, when we begin to question, well, why did Christ ascend? Well, 
in response to that, then Christ descends because, in fact, he's more helpful to us um, at the right hand of the Father, where he sits. And it's we could say it's better for Christ to be risen from the dead and in heaven than risen from the dead and simply with us here on earth. And St. Thomas points to something interesting to explain this. He points to the reality of the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. If you don't know a lot about the theological virtues, you can go back to our Lenten series on the virtues and tune into those episodes. But by the ascension, Thomas explains to us that the ascension is actually an, an, an occasion to increase our faith. That by Christ ascending to heaven, we can live a life of faith, moved by grace to believe in God. And in fact, as Christ said, blessed are those who have, who have um, not seen and yet believed in the gospel of John. That by believing, by faith, we are moved closer to God in that virtue. Secondly, we are uplifted in hope because where Christ goes, we too are to follow by his merits, by his salvation, that we can hope that as Christ ascends to heaven, so too we will ascend to heaven, or at least be drawn up into heaven. And finally, with respect to charity, it turns our mind, Christ's ascension turns our mind from thing, the things of this world to the things of heaven, to be drawn to, the, to spiritual, supernatural uh, things, to, to do things out of love of heaven, out of love of God, rather than simply pursuing the things of this world. So perhaps you can spend a little more time on that uh, on your own, but it is, it is at least we can say, you know, an affirmative thing, a good thing that our Lord has risen, uh, that he has gone to heaven and continues to intercede and mediate for, for us. With that, we'll turn to our second reading. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. Brothers and sisters, may the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, resulting in knowledge of him. May the eyes of your hearts be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope that belongs to his call, what are the riches of glory in his inheritance among the holy ones, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power for us who believe, in accord with the exercise of his great might, which he worked in Christ, raising him from the dead, and seating him at his right hand in the heavens far above every principality, authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things beneath his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to focus in just in uh, the first couple phrases in this first verse on the notion here of giving us a spirit of wisdom and revelation resulting in knowledge of him. So, uh, so sometimes we joke or make fun of the quote-unquote Greek word trick homily. So, you know, if you lack substantive things to share with the people of God, you just reveal to them that you took one year of Greek in seminary and wow them with your pronunciation, uh, which may be Erasmian, it may be ancient, it may be made up, but who cares because you're going to do it. Um, but the word... <laughs> The word there for revelation is apocalypsis, so it's it's wisdom and apocalypse. It's like, let's go. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think this is helpful insofar as it shows to us uh, in a philo philological way, like what's at stake with revelation, right? So when we think about reveal, when we hear it in churchy type settings, we're like, yeah, it's like there's a thing and God, God tells us the thing. That's great. Um, but in a more basic sense, it's an uncovering. Right, a kind of pulling back of the veil, a giving indication of the apocalypse, of the eschatological realities. And, you know, with this particular 
feast uh, with the mysteries on which we meditate, the ascension sometimes feels a little bit science fictiony. You know, so like when you see it portrayed in sacred art, you know, you got like a bunch of guys looking up to heaven and then you got a cloud and then you got a pair of feet and you're like, oh my gosh, what's going on here? This is crazy, right? So what we're talking about uh, is an end times reality. But truth be told, we are an end times people. So we're meant to live that end times reality, both personally uh, and corporately or ecclesially as the people of God, as the worshiping community. So, so what does that signify? Well, it means that we live for heaven. We live for heaven in a personal way. And, you know, we can bring this home in a variety of different um, kind of examinations of conscience. But effectively, it boils down to the fact to like, okay, I am, I am heaven bound. I am a heaven dweller. Do I comport myself accordingly? Not so that we can just, you know, like condemn ourselves and pile on whatever, like moral condemnation, uh, but in the sense that like, okay, how am I being transformed? How am I being more and more made to the image and likeness of God? Um, do I need to tailor my worship? Do I need to tailor my behavior? Do I need to tailor, etc. in accord with that? Um, one of the things which will not be present in the end times is circular saws outside your window, but in this present evil age, you're just going to have to deal with that on the recording. Um, but then, then we have to think about that, too, as the people of God. So, so Christ goes before us into heaven, and we go after him. So when we read these different passages in Scripture, like, look to what is above, or meditate on those things which are of heaven, it's not just like, you know, be moral, or do nice things, or, you know, compliment your peers. It means, like, if we are to abide in heaven, then we need to begin now. We need to begin presently living in heaven. And Christ has gone there before us, and he gives us the grace to follow after him. The the bandsaw is great background noise. I love it. So it's perfect. Uh, the what what Father Gregory was just saying right at right towards the end of his um, bit on this part on this part of the letter from Ephesians that that Christ leads that Christ leads and we follow. It's the 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 ascension and, and these Paschal mysteries where we go from Holy Week to Easter to you know these forty days to the ascension forty plus if it's Ascension Sunday and then to Pentecost you know another ten days after the ascension or a week depending. Uh, the the whole sort of mystery of salvation we can we can tease out all of the realities of the Christian life from this and, and see how they're brought to fulfillment. So as Christ ascends to heaven and as he goes before us, as he prepares a place for us, he leads the way and where to follow, even here and now, as Father Gregory was saying, um, it's, it's here we see yet again the fulfillment um, of our spiritual adoption in virtue of our baptism, that we're baptized into Christ. We are made the, to be the adopted sons and daughters of the Father and in that to be co-heirs with Christ. And in, in virtue of our baptism, not because we've earned it or merited it or because we're good enough or these sorts of things, but because God loves us that God di and because God died for us, um, he brings us into his divine life. He brings us into his divine life. And this is what St. Paul is speaking about, about this enlightenment, about knowing, about wisdom in, in, in the spirit in this letter to the Ephesians, that in virtue of you being incorporated into the body of Christ, in the mystical body of Christ, you are called to follow Christ to heaven. And because that's the case, we should live that reality now, that reality that we're called to follow Christ into heaven. Um, that th this is in some way fulfills uh, what we what we heard in last week's gospel um, in, in, uh, from the Last Supper when Christ calls his disciples, his apostles, and, and, and us through them, his, his friends. You know, Christ in the Last Supper um, prays for the church that we may be one. 
as he and the Father are one, but also that we may be his friends. We're not just saved by Christ. We are indeed saved by Christ, but we're called to to live and follow after him. And the ascension is is just a beautiful, a beautiful part of that. Not science fiction, though. You know, the little feet dangling down might might lead us to believe otherwise. I don't know. Maybe. Well, as St. Paul tells us in this letter, he put all things beneath his feet and gave him as uh, a head, um, put him as head over all things to the church. And there's another important passage in Ephesians 5, which helps us to understand exactly what this means, um, commenting on Christ and his relationship to the church. So in Ephesians 5, we have this beautiful analogy of marriage, um, which is why uh, believing Catholics always talk about the church as a she, the church is the bride of Christ. Um, so he here's a little excerpt of what's going on there in Ephesians 5. Be subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives should be subordinate to their husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of his wife, just as Christ is head of the church, he himself the savior of the body. As the church is subordinate to Christ, so wives should be subordinate to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and handed himself over for her to sanctify her, cleansing her by the bath of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, I realize that's a long passage to quote, but this is, this is a very beautiful image of what we're talking about when, uh, when the scriptures tell us that Christ has put all things beneath his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Well, what is the church? The church is that which Christ loves enough to give himself so completely and intimately as to consider her his bride. And this gift of Christ um, has the, the effect of transforming the church, of washing her clean, making her to be without spot or blemish or wrinkle, and that it is the sacrifice of Christ alone that allows the church um, to, to have such an extraordinary deposit of grace and to be able to undertake the mission of the preaching of Christ. So Father Jacob Bertrand is talking about the transformation of heart, the transformation of heart that happens, this enlightenment um, that allows us to, to see the revelation Father Gregory was mentioning, happens through the church, because the church is the, the chosen vessel um, for this mission. The church is the, the beloved bride of Christ, um, to, to whom believers are able, through whom believers are able to be united to him in the most extraordinary of ways. I'm very pro-church. That's a good thing as a priest of the church that you are also pro-church. So blessings on you, Father. Uh, I'm pro-you, pro-church. Oh, thank you. Wow. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Well, everybody, while everybody continues to affirm Father Patrick, we'll ask him to proclaim the gospel for us. The gospel for Ascension Thursday is as follows. A reading from the conclusion of the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus said to his disciples, Go into the whole world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak new languages. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. 
So then the Lord Jesus, after he spoke to them, was taken up into heaven and took his seat at the right hand of God. But they went forth and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word through accompanying signs. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. As Father Gregory said um, a little bit earlier, I think it was with the f- respect to the first reading, I can't remember for sure, but uh, the I think it was. The ascension is a cause of our salvation. It is part of, of, the, of the mission of Christ's salvific work here on earth. And um, the, they're, they're, you know, as Father Gregory was saying that God is the efficient cause. He, he's the one who brings about our salvation, but that Christ's humanity is the instrumental cause. And these God's divinity and, his, and the humanity in Christ are united by, by what we call the hypostatic union, that God, the person of Christ, is true God and true man, as we profess in our creed. And how is the ascension the cause of our salvation? Well, by two reasons. One, I already spoke about with uh, when we were looking at the first reading, that through the ascension, we are led to believe, hope, and love more truly and more deeply. But with respect to Christ, on Christ's part, um, first, we've already talked about this with the second reading, Christ prepares the way for us to follow. And thirdly, at least the third reason here that, uh, you know, that St. Thomas gives is that um, Christ, the high priest in the ascension, through the ascension, enters into the holy place, uh, into the holy of holies to stand before God at the right hand of God and to continue to mediate on our behalf. Not that what he, not that what he suffered on earth was insufficient, that he's has to fulfill that in heaven, but that the Son of God still draws us to himself in heaven. Um, in, in fulfilling the, the priesthood of the Old Covenant, where, where the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and, and offer sacrifice on behalf of the people and for the expiation of their sins, Christ, the great high priest, the eternal high priest, in his ascension, rightfully takes his place in heaven um, to, to continue to draw us to himself by the graces that he offers, by these signs and these works to enkindle in us a life of faith, a life of charity, and, um, and continue to open our hearts to reveal himself and open our hearts so that we may pursue him, that we may follow after him uh, in, and as Father Patrick said, through the church. So I just want to focus in on one short verse here near the end where it says, So then the Lord Jesus, after he spoke to them, was taken up into heaven and took his seat at the right hand of God. So we make we make uh, frequent mention of St. Thomas Aquinas, and um, at this point it's tradition, so why would we depart from it? Uh, when St. Thomas writes about Christ in the Summa Theologiae, he devotes four questions to the resurrection, and then he follows on with three questions that kind of round out the scoring, as it were, um, to take—never mind. Okay, keep going, Father Gregory. Uh, so he, he adds three questions that kind of fill up the remainder of the mysteries of the life of Christ, and— the, the next question is about the ascension. And then the following two questions, I don't know why I'm laughing. This isn't funny. This is a very serious matter, are about Christ being seated at the right hand of God and then Christ exercising judicial power. Uh, and I guess, <laughs> I don't know, I, I suppose it just doesn't sound like a mystery of the life of Christ. You're used to thinking about the Lord teaching or the Lord performing miracles or the Lord being transfigured or his passion, you know, these types of things. But then you're like, wait a second. His being seated at the right hand of the Father and his exercising of judicial authority are themselves saving mysteries? The answer is yes. Because here we see when the Lord ascends, it's not as if he arrives at heaven and is like, all right, (laughs) well done, me. He sits at the right hand of the Father, thus signifying, you know, that he is the only begotten Son of God by nature, and he occupies his place 
you know, at the at the heart of the most blessed Trinity, but that he does so now, you know, conjoined to human nature in a way that that is fruitful for us, right? He sits at the right hand of the Father for us. Some theologians will talk about how Christ lives a pro-existence. He exists for us. Now, mind you, he's, he's getting along just fine without us. He doesn't need us. We add nothing to him. But still, he has made himself known in Revelation as for us. And now, having ascended to the right hand of the Father, he judges. And this is something that's promised to us as a mystery to be shared in, right? He says to the apostles that, you know, you will sit on 12 thrones and you will judge the 12 tribes of Israel, an eschatological reality which extends beyond the bounds of historical Israel, uh, of the, the covenant in which they partake. And so when we think about this, this, this again, ho- like it helps us to broaden the scope of what we understand by salvation. Salvation isn't just like, you know, doing the right things and avoiding the bad things and hoping for a good result at the end. Like, let's see if we can sneak in the back door of purgatory. No, salvation is partaking in the very life of God, which we participate in a created way by grace, but ultimately which leads us into the very bosom of the Trinity. And we see that in manifest fashion throughout the course of the the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, but especially at the end, where it kind of comes to its culmination and is expressed in most awesome fashion. I can't believe you guys just passed right over the snake thing. This is like the best part of this gospel <laughs> passage. So in true homage to my patron, to my patron saint, Patrick Vyland, uh, I suppose I have to just t- just talk about the snake thing. Uh, the you know the there are different strains of Christianity that have very little literal interpretations of this. We could think of a Pentecostalism in early 20th century America, where there would be these great tent revivals, and these traveling preachers would reach into boxes and handle rattlesnakes and cottonmouths and whatever else with their bare hands as a sign of demonstration that the spirit of the Lord was upon them. Um, as a kind of literal uh, interpretation of this. Um, while I am not counseling, I hope I hope the lawyers of the province hear this. Father Thomas Moore, Garrett, I'm seeing, I'm talking to you. Uh, I am not counseling anyone to go out and try and play with a snake. Okay, we're not suggesting that, but I am suggesting that we, as Christians, uh, ought not to be surprised when the Lord does send accompanying signs um, as demonstrations of His love. Uh, the fact that there are ongoing miracles, Eucharistic miracles, miracles of healing. Um, are evidences of of the real of the uh, of the veracity of the gospel. God sends these signs uh, that our faith may be quickened, that we might believe in them. And we as Catholics take this very seriously. It doesn't mean that we have to think that every you know sort of um, every sort of mildly remarkable thing that happens is necessarily a miracle. We certainly don't think that. Um, but but we can expect for there to be for there to be serious signs uh, accompanying the preaching of the gospel. Uh, the last comment about the snakes is that, of course, um, to, to handle a serpent and to, to do with a serpent what you will is a sign of Jesus' ultimate victory over death and of evil. That evil which first appeared in the garden as a serpent um, has been definitively defeated by Jesus Christ by his suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension. On Thursday. <laughs> On Thursday. <laughs> Great. Well, whether you are celebrating the Ascension on Thursday or Sunday, we hope that uh, some of our little insights into snake handling and um, what was that? Apocalypsis? Was that the Greek word that Father Gregory used to make himself sound smart? That sounds like a neon drink you get on vacation somewhere. I'm going to I wasn't listening, so I don't know. Yeah. yeah, well, that's not a surprise, Father Patrick. Uh, 
So the usual run of, of comments here at the end of the episode. Thanks very much sir, for supporting us, for listening to the podcast. Do please share it with somebody uh, you might think benefit or somebody you think needs a little more Jesus in their life or a little more snake handling or something. You know, just <laughs> get them to listen. It all ends up well in the end. Um, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, this is our penultimate um uh, Lexio episode for the Easter season. So next week's Pentecost episode will be the last one, and then we'll take a little hiatus, uh, kind of a long hiatus until Advent. But, you know, stay tuned for Advent Lexios. Um, of course, uh, thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and all of our donors. If you'd like to support the podcast and keep us moving towards the 20th century with our technology and other abilities, that'd be great. You can check out our Patreon page. Um, kind of exciting. I don't know if I get excited about this. Maybe I do. Maybe you should. Um, we'll have some uh, Pentecost merch that'll be launched next week. So check out the the store for that. Some new merch stuff or new items to, to get there. As we've been announcing, we have our retreat coming up in July, July 23rd through 25th. Is the Godsplaining retreat as it is in heaven. Um, it's in Huntington, New York at the Seminary of the Immaculate Conception. Uh, if you're interested, please check out the details on the website. I would say reg register ASAP as space is filling, um, and, but we'd, we'd love to have you for that. Uh, am I forgetting anything? No, because I make the list of announcements, so I'm not forgetting anything. <laughs> oh, how about that? Dang. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we will close out then with the, uh, the prayer after communion for Ascension, for the Ascension. Almighty ever-living God, who allow those on earth to celebrate divine mysteries, Grant, we pray, that Christian hope may draw us onward to where our nature is united with you. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, God bless. Thanks for listening to Godsplaining, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.